I want you to open your heart, though, today to what it is that I believe the Lord would say uh, to this church and say to those who have gathered here today. Uh, over about uh, two weeks ago, I started just uh, some messages leading up to Easter Sunday entitled, The Road to the Resurrection. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to just turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, but you've got it on your phone or whatever you might have brought in with you, open it up. Just go ahead. I'll, I'll trust that you're not playing words with friends. <laughs> and, uh, and if I hear this little screeching, I might assume you're playing Angry Birds. But please, let's just stick to the Word for now. You can do that later. But uh, in your Bibles, and I'm going to re be reading from the NIV. I'm going to read, uh, in fact, uh, from verse 12 down through to verse 20. And we're ending up today with at the road or the road to the resurrection. Obviously, this being Easter Sunday, we're dealing with the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pivotal event of Christianity. I will, before I read this text, uh, before we get there, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity falls, falls flat. I realize the world tries to make Christianity fall flat. It will not fall flat, no matter how much they try, no matter how much people make an effort to discredit that. The resurrection is the lone event on which Christianity itself hangs. Now, I realize there are other things that we could talk about in Christianity. If you take away the virgin birth, you really don't have anything. I, I get that. I, I know that theologically. I understand that. But you can have all of those other things. You can even have a cross. You can have the cross on which Jesus died, Him shedding His blood, Him living a life that was pure and spotless for all of mankind, and yet, in all of that, if you do not have the resurrection as believers today, and this is where we're going to stop at uh, the, on the road to the resurrection, we're going to stand for a, for a few moments with Paul in front of a tomb that is still covered. A tomb that still has a stone over it. A tomb that still has a body in it. And I want you to understand today that that tomb, though we know does not exist, Paul deals with that subject today. He deals with the idea or the thought, what if it didn't happen? And that's where I want to go right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12, reading down through, uh, we're going to go down through to verse 20. The Bible says this, it says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, has not been raised, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Look at that verse then not even Christ has been raised. He says this simply, that the tomb 
is still full. There's still something happened that shouldn't have happened. And that, brothers and sisters, is where we're going to land here in just a moment. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He didn't He did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm going to just stop reading right there. The what ifs of life can be horrible. When you think about What might happen? What could have happened? What may have happened if a certain set of events took place? I know a lot of times we think about our lives and we think about the future and we think we sort of try to plan ahead and we think, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And in many cases, our what ifs turn into major worries. It turns into nightmares. We begin to think about the horrible consequences if a certain set of events begin to take place. The what ifs bring fear and worry. And they, are, they come to us in major waves of what if that happens? What if that takes place? What am I going to do if this particular thing happens? This is why I think the devil will do his best to remove the hope of the resurrection from your life. He knows that the power of the resurrection is the power of new life in Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no new life. Without the resurrection, you don't have anything going for you. It is the hope of the believer beyond the grave. A few years ago, I went, uh, kind of went back to school a little bit. One of the papers that I wrote, I'm not, I don't need to get into the subject matter, but it was essentially based on what if this particular historical event had not turned out the way that it turned out. It is an incredible thought when you think about the course of history, even in life. What if, sir, you know, what if the British had won? You know, what would our nation look like? What if certain things took place in life? What if all of these advances that have been made had not been made? What if those things had taken place? And you get a very different picture of how it may have turned out. Well, here's where we want to stop for a moment. What if the resurrection did not take place? What if there is no resurrection? In fact, The passage that I read to you in the Corinthian church, there were those who were exposed to the teaching that said there was no resurrection of the dead. And yet they still hung on to the fact that Jesus 
had been raised from the dead. They said, okay, Jesus was raised to life, but he's the only one. There is going to be nobody else. There is no resurrection of the human body. It will not happen. And Paul writes to combat this teaching. But in his own unique way, Paul walks this teaching through to its natural conclusions. It's almost as if Paul says, okay, let's assume that this is true. Let's assume. I want to show you the horrible, hopeless end to which we are all going to be led. If there is no resurrection of the dead, I want you to come to this first conclusion. One, if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 13 indicates that Jesus is still dead. He says, how can you say there is a resurrection or is that Jesus was raised to life and then out of, the, out of your mouth you're also saying there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, Jesus is still in a grave somewhere. Paul writes and he says that in verse 13. He essentially says if there is no resurrection, Jesus is like every other dead God that is worshipped in whatever way they may be worshipped. We have no power, there is no power in him to help you. Absolutely nothing. If he is dead, then that's it. He's dead. Nobody can help you. There is absolutely nobody there to walk alongside you in life. If you take away the resurrection, then Jesus' words stating, I am the way, the truth, and the life, all of a sudden sound hollow and empty. His words that state, I am the resurrection and the life, sound hollow and empty. They carry no weight. There is absolutely nothing that can happen. It is At best, it is simply uh, an empty thing that he stated. At worst, it is a terrible, terrible lie. You can chalk Christianity up to be like any other religion. It is dead because its founder is dead, Paul says. Empty. Nothing there. Here's the first conclusion. The second conclusion is this. If there's no resurrection, preaching's useless. I'm out of a job, (laughs) Preaching is useless. He said, Pastor, really, you're going to go? Yes, that's what Paul said, verse 14. Let me look at that again. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. It's absolutely pointless to stand up for somebody to preach a sermon. Now, I've got a style. I can't get away from it. I'm sorry. I know there are those today, and I know some... You know, things are changing, and, you know, I should have a, you know, I should have a, a plexiglass pulpit. I'm sorry. I high buy this thing. I love this thing. Please don't take my pulpit away from me. You know, you should have one of those. I should have a, you know, a bar stool up here that I just kind of sit on with a little table about that high that I can put my notes on. And I know we should have a big jumbotron up here so everything that I say, you can see it written down. I get that. I just, I, I got to stop. I don't know what to tell you. All of that, no matter what the style is, who cares what the style is? It's pointless. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then whoever shouts and screams like yours truly, or whoever stands and just kind of talks naturally to the crowd and connects with people in that that way, it's all useless, Paul says. 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, what we're doing makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But he goes a little bit further. For those of you who say, yes, I have faith. I trust in in what Jesus Christ has done. Paul says in that very same verse that he says, our preaching is useless. He says these words, and so is your faith. Bottom just fell out. Wait a minute. My faith is useless. If there is no resurrection, if the resurrection did not take place, then Jesus is still in the tomb, and not only that, your faith is empty. There's no point to it. Faith is empty and vain if the resurrection did not take place. Faith that does not look forward to life is empty and it's useless. I've heard people say they have, you know, strong faith. But you know what? No, if the resurrection didn't take place, you don't have strong faith. You're hoping in fatalism. Some kind of fatalistic view. Well, I hope it works out. Not sure if it's going to. Call it whatever you like to call it. It's not faith in anything that has substance. Faith in anything that has value. Faith in anything that can bring life. It might work out that way, but what if it doesn't? Faith, he says, is pointless. Hoping in something that they're not assured of. If there is no resurrection, your faith is misdirected. It is empty. Why have hope if you can't have hope in life, even after this life is over? Why? Here's the fourth conclusion. If there is no resurrection, we're liars. Paul just gets right down to it, you know? (laughs) You know, up to this point, maybe he's sort of been beating around the bush a little bit. Not so much anymore. Verse 15, he says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses. For those, you know, you know a false witness. That's sort of a nice way of saying you're a liar. You're just lying. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. He's saying, we are lying about what it is that we are proclaiming. If that did not take place, if there's no resurrection, then guess what? We're just a big bunch of liars. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the Christianity is either hung on truth or it is hung on a lie. And it cannot stand on a lie. It cannot hang successfully on a lie. If it is a lie, it will be brought down. And you would think that if it has been a lie, it would have been brought down by now. I'm getting ahead of myself. You see, if you know something is not true, and yet you proclaim it to be true, you are a liar. You are a false witness. You are bearing false witness to something if, in fact, it is not the case. There are major, major consequences for that to take place. If you were to go and stand in court, you know that when you go to court and you have to testify about something, they make you swear on the Bible that you are going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. And you stand there, and if you lie on the witness stand and they catch you in a lie, guess what? That's called perjury, and you can be put away for that kind of nonsense. Paul says, let me tell you something. If the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, we are all lying. Here's the fifth conclusion, he says. If there's no resurrection, you're still in your sins. Those who profess, oh, he set me free from sin. No, he didn't. Absolutely not. If there is no resurrection, then you are still in your sins. 
Those who said I had an experience where it gave my heart to Jesus Christ and he set me free from all the sin and the bondage. No, if there is no resurrection, guess what? If that did not happen, if the big, big what if did not occur, if it did not take place, then I want you to know that in that moment, trust me, you did not get free from anything. You are still under the curse and the bondage of sin. Sin is still out there. But guess what? If Jesus didn't come back to life, you are not justified before God. You, the blood didn't wash you clean. Nothing took place. If there is no resurrection from the dead, what a scary thing. I'm still in my sins if there's no resurrection. If there's no forgiveness, then what's left? Imagine continuing to live your life under the weight of the condemnation of the past sins and the things that you have committed. You say, but pastor, I've been a pretty good person. No, it's not about being a pretty good person. It's not being about, you know, just, just sort of following a moral code of conduct. That doesn't, that doesn't really cut it with God. You see, there are men who stand and say, but I'm a good person. Are you really? Because the Bible indicates and, and the prophet Isaiah says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Paul then quotes it in the book of Romans. Nobody's righteous. Nobody is holy. Everybody is sinful. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, you're still in your sins. It's still there. If there's no forgiveness of sins, then the stories of the Bible that we read about probably would have turned out just a little bit different. Think about it for a minute. Joseph's brothers would have found out what retaliation was like. That forgiveness that reached back from the cross, back into history, back into time, and it, and it motivated and moved by, by the Spirit, motivated and moved Joseph to forgive his wretched, rotten brothers who sold him into slavery. Now Joseph says, ha, I'm going to get even. You guys, you got it coming. No, he didn't do that. We know it didn't turn out that way. Joseph wrapped his arms around him and says, you know what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God turned it around for good. God's got a different ending of the story, and it's based on something that was going to happen years and years down the road. It's based on the resurrection looking forward. We don't have time to get into all of these other things that we could talk about, but there is another conclusion, two more conclusions that Paul makes, and one is this. If there is no resurrection, then those who have already died in Christ are gone forever. Verse 18 tells us that. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Not only are they lost because they will never rise again, but they are lost in their sins. See, they died in Christ, meaning they are going to be raised to eternal life with Him. But if there is no resurrection, there's no raising that's going to happen. There is no spending eternity in heaven with God. There's none of that, Paul says. They're lost. The last conclusion, if there is no resurrection, is this. Paul says, we're to be pitied. You believers who walked in here this morning, you're to be pitied above all else. I, as the preacher standing in the pulpit, I'm to be pitied. No, just, just, you know, have a pity party for us. Come up alongside of us, say, oh, poor thing. If there's no resurrection of the dead, what are you going to do? You know, you're spending your life trying to live the way that God wants you to live, to live in a manner that honors Jesus, to love the way that he loved, but what's the point? If there's no resurrection, what is 
the point. You're to be pitied. Poor you, you silly person. You silly woman. You silly man. You guys are just, you're just crazy. I pity you. Paul says, verse 19, he says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. No, not the atheist. You. Not, not the unbeliever. You. Why? Because he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, you're to be pitied because you're hoping in something that didn't happen, can't happen, won't happen, isn't going to happen. Paul says, enough of this conversation. Shall we move to the, the what if? The what if, folks, did not happen. Hallelujah. The what if of standing in front of a tomb that was still sealed. The what if of standing in front of a tomb that still had a dead body in it. The what if of that kind of scenario. In fact, we find in the Gospels that even those who fell down afterwards, those Roman soldiers, they were willing to put themselves in harm's way to purport the lie that says the body was stolen while we slept. No Roman soldier ever confessed to sleeping on the job. You know why? Because the bottom line was lights out for him. As we like to say in our house, es muerto. You know, it's all over. All over. It, but they were willing to say that and go along with this lie. The, the body was stolen while we slept. No, it wasn't. Jesus came back to life. The what if, brothers and sisters, never happened. Verse 20 of our text, the Bible says this, but Christ, listen to this, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Not only that, he, Paul says, let's just get rid of this ridiculous lie that says there is no resurrection of the dead. Jesus did raise to life, and as a result of that, the Bible lets us know that you also will be raised to life. If there's no resurrection, he, didn't, he wasn't raised to life. But there is a resurrection, and therefore, we have a hope today beyond this life. You don't know how long your life is going to last. I know most of us, we have plans and we assume it's just going to last a long, long time. Trust me, it doesn't happen that way. I've been to enough funerals in my life. I've held enough funerals in my ministry to know that life does not last forever. The question is, what then? I want you to know that Jesus Christ came and he answered the what then he answered that situation. Listen, brothers and sisters, we've got to know today, you've got to know that God came through for you in this situation. He raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Jesus is not dead. He is absolutely alive. The writer of the book of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this, Therefore, he is able to save those completely who come to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. Brothers and sisters, it says he always lives. Jesus Christ is still alive. He is still living, and the Bible says he's at the right hand of the throne of the Father, preaching, <laughs> thank God, is not useless. 
But instead, God uses, listen to what Paul says on one occasion, the foolishness of preaching. Okay, so what I do really is foolishness, but it's not useless. Not useless. It's foolishness, listen, to reach the lost and to train the saints. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through, here's Paul, the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I want you to know today that God has something in store for your life if you will take hold of it and you will believe the word of the Lord. You will believe what is written in this book. Faith, not only the preaching isn't useless, but faith is not useless and empty. But based on the reality of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, if he came out of the tomb, he can change your life. If he came out of the tomb, he can do anything for you. He can revolutionize your very life. Brothers and sisters, you say, well, i got a pretty good life. I don't need any revolution. I'm not talking about, you know, the daily routine of your life and you're making enough money. And It's not about that. It's about your soul. It's about what you can't do for yourself. He is able to do for you because he was raised to life. And the Bible says that he was crucified for your sins. And he was raised to life for your justification. That is that you would stand before the presence of God completely whole and well. Not only this, guess what? We're not lying. We're proclaiming a truth that is not a false witness of anything, but it is the truth of the Word of God. I don't have time to get into why we believe it's the truth, but it's found in the early part of 1 Corinthians 15. You can take time to read it a little bit later on if you want. But starting at verse 1, Paul goes through and he lists all the apostles who saw Jesus in person after the resurrection. But then Paul states as well, he says, not only that, he says over 500 people saw Jesus alive at one time. If you were to take and give 500 people five minutes in a courtroom to testify, trust me, I want to tell you, your court case would be done. It would be over with. You don't need 500 people to affirm This is what took place. And then Paul says, and guess what? Not only that, he says a lot of those people at the time of that writing, they're still alive. You don't believe me, you go check it out. And then Paul says this, he says, and he also appeared to me as one born out of season, out of due time. He appeared to me later on. I've seen him. I know him. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, he says, we're not lying about this. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that you're not still in your sins. You have been transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those of you sitting here today, you say, but I struggle against sin. Is that, some, is that the same? No, it's not the same. You're struggling against it. You're fighting against it. But I want you to know that he set you free. You don't have to give in to the flesh anymore. You don't have to give in to those base natures, of the base uh, Uh, sinful things of your nature, but instead you can say, Lord, let your nature flow through me and live through me. Let me make the decisions that you would make, and he will help you to do that. Not only that, the Bible lets us know that those who have died in Christ will live again one day, not only in spirit, but in bodily form as well, 
just as Christ did. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says this, We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And then Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, he says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I want you to see that. He says we're going to rise. There is going to be that great resurrection that will take place because Jesus did, in fact, come out of the tomb. And the bottom line is this. You are not to be pitied for having faith in Him. No, they don't need to have a pity party for you. You can hold your head high and you can stand and say along with the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from The dead, brothers and sisters, you're not trusting in something that is a myth. You're not trusting in something that is a lie. You're not trusting in something that didn't happen. But your faith squarely hangs upon the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All you got to do, get together with those 500 people who saw it and said, if 500 people saw him alive after that, then brothers and sisters, that's all I need to know. That he, in fact, is living. And the Bible says he is always always living to make intercession for you. He's praying for you. He cares about you. He loves you. He he is concerned about your life and what it is that you are going through on a daily basis. I want you to know today that God cares about you more than you care about you. You say, well, I care about me pretty much. But you know what? He cares about you more. Those around you, they care about you. They love you. But He cares about you more than they do. He loves you with an everlasting love. Can we stand to our feet right now? And before we do anything else in this place, can we give God praise today and thanks for all that He has done? Hallelujah. Come on and magnify the Lord with me. Let's just exalt the name of the Lord together. We bless your name, O God. We bless your name, Jesus. You are worthy of all the praise. You're worthy, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We magnify your mighty name. You are worthy of all the praise. You're worthy, Lord Jesus. We honor you today. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for your people. We thank you, Jesus. Dear God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would come right now by your Holy Spirit and touch each heart and life. That you administer your strength, oh God, right now. Lord God, we give you the praise and the honor today, Jesus. You are worthy of all the praise. Worthy are you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah to you, Lord. Hallelujah. I wonder if the musicians could just come back to the instruments right now. Praise the name of Jesus.